0: And there's a method to my madness. Yes, I understand. I'm explaining this to Heather, and she's looking at me like going, you need to explain, please? And I said, well, you know, if you think about it, um, everything that we view... (laughs) We're having fun this morning. This is going to... I'm excited about this. You might want to cancel lunch plans. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You guys have picked on me enough for going long. Um, But if you think about it, Everything, everything we're born into in this world system that we, we see, that we live in, that we even experience, is really upside down. And what God wants to do is, is turn it right side up. And so today we're going to teach through Matthew 5. There is actually note sheets on the back of the piece of paper you were handed. The reason I did that is because we're going to be going through a lot of scripture this morning. And I want you to be able to have some takeaways and, uh, and really... I would love for you to spend some time at home diving into this. Um, I'm not going to teach each verse very long because Jesus goes through. Get this, Jesus would teach about 10 minutes. And then he would say, that's all I got for today, go think on that. Now, I haven't gotten there yet, so you know there is grace, but I'm not perfect. Jesus was perfect, I'm not perfect, so we'll go about an hour and ten today. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But if you think about it Matthew is writing to say here is our king and kings have what kings have kingdoms and they have areas of rule and we talked last week about this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven that is not a physical place but is a is a it's a submission it's a rule and reign of Christ in our life and so Jesus is now into teaching full time he's walking the countryside Um, We've seen Him do miracles, and yes, we believe in miracles, and we prayed last week for miracles. Uh, We even prayed this morning for miracles, because God doesn't stop. His power is always there. We don't get freaky about it and start waving hankies and all that stuff, but we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that can restore and renew our life. And that's what we submit into. And so you have Jesus now established this kingdom, and He's starting to preach about this kingdom. And in Matthew 5, there's a teaching called the Beatitudes. And he goes through this teaching. Jesus uh, goes in and starts to begin to lay this foundation for the kingdom. And then he starts to really, the mindset of the world, he starts to shift it right side up. I mean, we tend to think that the way of Jesus is upside down. It's because we're so used to living upside down that everything else seems upside down. Does that make sense? And what Jesus is doing is taking our view of the world and how we are, and he's riding us. He's turning us right side up. It's just like this chair. I mean, this chair is, I really can't do much with this chair right now other than maybe lean on it. I can't even balance it on my face or anything like that. I'm not skilled like that. So it really is just going to sit here. And what Jesus does is he starts to turn us so that we can, then see the kingdom the way Jesus sees the kingdom. You see, because happiness in life isn't by getting and consuming and and abusing and conquering and achieving. It's found in Jesus. And there is true happiness that can exist in our life through Jesus. And I'm going to teach through this, and I'm just going to let them kind of sit for a little bit. So go to Matthew 5. I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, he says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and we'll stop right there. Let's understand what's going on. The primary audience are disciples, are believers, are people that have submitted their faith and belief into this, this kingdom idea, and Jesus is the king. Now, there were other people on the, on the, on the sidelines here listening in. It'd be kind of like us going down to TCU and listening to two professors talk about, I don't know, math, something that's way above my level, no, physics. And they're they're talking, and I'm on the sidelines trying to understand. But Jesus' primary audience here is two believers. And so understand that this morning. And we're going to bring in some different perspectives so we can understand. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning... This this is for you. My hope is that you see who Jesus really is, not the way we've painted this picture of Jesus in our society. But Scripture shows Jesus for who he really is, and my hope is that you see him and submit to him. And so let me let me put this. You've got you've got these fill ins, and so that way you're going to be dying for a fill in, and it's, this can be fun this morning. And so your first feeling is this, and think about this chair. Before God can use us greatly, he has to turn us right side up. So before I can use this chair, it would have been fun to watch you this morning you know, come in, and before you could use this chair, you would have to turn it right side up. Otherwise, you'd be doing some kind of Pilates move. Um, I don't know what they're called, but it's called the Matt's Gonna Make Fun of You move. If you're squatting over a chair that, that if you just turn it over, you can use it, and some people think they got nothing for God. some people think they've they've made this series of bad mistakes in life or they've gotten themselves into this corner that God really can't do anything with their life and honestly that's just something that the enemy tries to keep shoving in your face to say God can't do anything through you before we launched this church. let me tell you the enemy was beaten me hard about you can't do this who do you think you are and and god just has to say let me turn you right side up i can use you greatly and so it's there's not a there's not a value change going on this chair is still a chair i mean the the cost of this chair was the same whether it's sitting upside down or right side up god didn't bring any more value to 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 me when he turned me right side up. Where he brought value was to how he can use me. And so when God turns you right side up, he's not bringing any more value to you. He's bringing more value to how he can use you for the kingdom. And that's something to understand. That, that, I mean, God died for us while we were yet sinners. I mean, we're upside down in the world, and we may or may not care anything about what God wants for our life, and he still died for us. He still saw so much value in our life that he was willing to submit himself to a cross so that we could realize and live the value that he designed for us. You tracking there? And so this isn't a value change. This is about getting right side up. And so what we have here is Jesus starting to flip chairs. And that's what he calls us to do, he calls us to flip chairs. I mean, we go through life and, and we get our chair, we got to get our chair flipped up first, okay? I mean, I've heard rumors that there are some people called Christians that walk around trying to flip other people's chairs when theirs is still upside down. Um, I know that's, that's strange to hear, but I, I've heard it can happen. But watch out for that. Don't be going around trying to say, man, your chair's upside down. And then you try to sit down you're going to be falling all over yourself. Make sure your chairs flip, and then help flip other chairs. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's setting the stage for. He's setting the stage to say, there's, you've been living upside down, I'm going to write you up, and then we're going to do some, something with this. And it's going to be beautiful. And there's going to be a lot of impact that happens as a result of this. Let's go on um, through this. Um, and let me just say this, actually, real quick. These chairs, they match, right? I mean, they all look the same they if you really understand they belong here, they were bought to belong here. You were bought by Jesus to belong here and i I know a lot of people tend to miss that. We tend to think that we have this relationship with God, but we lose this sense of belonging and this sense of connectedness and what happens is when we don't feel like we belong anywhere, when we don't feel like we have this connection with someone then we begin this process of flipping. It's, it'd be like this chair just turning back over. And then someone has to help ride it. And then after a few weeks, few months, the chair just goes back over. What you've got to understand is these chairs were bought with a price, and they were bought and designed to be together in this room. When Jesus paid the price on the cross... Your life was bought so that you could have connection with a body. And I want you to really understand this and let this get to your core. You belong here. You belong in this church. You belong in this body. You belong in a connected relationship so that you don't get out by yourself and start flipping around. If, if you start flipping over, then it's, you're probably not connected. And let's figure that out. Because if we have people in our community that continue to go through this process of connecting and disconnecting, connecting and disconnecting, you know whose fault that is. That's right here. That's right here. Because we have a a responsibility to bring the body together. We're bound by the Holy Spirit, but we have a responsibility to extend our hands, to reach out, and to say, you belong. And there's too many people live with this crazy sense that they don't belong anywhere and it's sad because they end up lonely and i know lonely people in church and it's unfortunate but you belong here i'm sorry i just wanted to just hit that let's go on to matthew uh, 5 3 and this is where he gets into it jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you see The world tells us, remember the upside down view, the world tells us to get it all, get it all, get it all, keep driving, keep pushing, keep pushing. And it it tells you that when you get to a point of not knowing what to do, that the answer lies within you. You know, there's a song, A Hero Lies In You, I'm not going to sing it, I will spare you that. But the world tells us that, you know, when you get into this position, just look within yourself, because the answer is there. Let me tell you something, that is a lie. That's like one of the worst things I can imagine telling someone, is that the answer lies within you. Just just believe in yourself. When I look inside me, I am scared about what I see, and I know you can't see it. I scare myself. And we have to understand that the answer does not lie within you. We have to understand, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. What that means is when you acknowledge that you are spiritually broke, that's when God can do something. When I acknowledge that God, I, I don't have the answer. I don't have it all. I am broke. Then the Holy Spirit can come in and make a deposit in our life. Then we understand that we start living based on this kingdom that Jesus is talking about and not our kingdom. Because if the answer lies within me, then I've built my own kingdom. Then I've created my own council. And I've created my own situation for me to really take a hard fall. This is one of those this is one of those that Jesus is talking, and we're going to teach you this. It is present tense. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not blessed are the poor in spirit, and if you wait long enough, the kingdom's there. If you acknowledge you're spiritually broke, Jesus said the kingdom is right here. Here it is. Through your poverty, I can bring my wealth. And when we acknowledge that it's not our ability to bring the wealth, and I'm I'm talking about spiritual wealth here. I'm talking about this knowledge. I'm talking about this kingdom. In Romans 14:7, it talks about what the kingdom is. I'm going to let me go to that and read it. You don't you don't have to flip over. I'll put it up on the screen. Or Allie will put it up on the screen. Thank you, Allie. Romans 14:17. Paul tells us what the kingdom is. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, that when you acknowledge that you're spiritually broke, what He can come in and fill you with is righteousness, joy, and peace. And I know that that starts to turn my will sometimes because I don't always feel righteous. I don't always experience joy and peace. But that's when I start to look at, at myself and think, I'm building up some wealth here, and I've got to acknowledge I'm spiritually broke. If you're not experiencing joy and peace in your life, there is no magic formula other than saying, God, I am broke. I need you to fill my life. And when you when you feel that that feeling of just poverty and poor, I don't know if you've you've ever been to that point where you don't have any money and you don't know where it's coming from, and you just acknowledge you throw your hands up in this surrender and say, God, I can't figure this out. It has to be You. And when we get to that point spiritually, and our hands go up and say, God, I just don't understand it. I'm broke. I got nothing. And we surrender and humble ourselves. And God says, here is the kingdom. Right here. Right now. And there's something beautiful that starts to happen. Because I experience joy. And it's a joy I can't explain. I experience peace. It's a peace that moves beyond anything I can understand. And I experience this righteousness, this right feeling with God that can only happen through the cross. And then Jesus goes on. And he says in Matthew 5, 4, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, in Jesus' time, people would say that mourning and grief would come from God's judgment. That if you were going through a difficult situation and you were in mourning or you were feeling grief if you experience loss, if you're experiencing pain, then it's God's judgment on you. That there's some sin in your life that you have holding on to and God is judging you. People in Jesus' time would believe that God is paying you back for your sin. Let me start to write some of this. God paid Jesus for your sin. And you don't have to feel that guilt think about this, the believers are hearing this, but think about the people, the poor people on the side hearing Jesus teach. And they start to think, wait a second, so all, all of this that I'm hearing about my pain and my suffering is God's judgment, you're telling me that there's actually blessing and I can be comforted when I mourn? That's upside down, Jesus. I can't understand that. And Jesus is saying, no, that's right side up. You see, we all go through pain. We all mourn, but we all don't get comforted. You see, God will always redeem our pain for His glory and our good. And we have to understand that when we go through pain, God is wanting to use those scars to help someone else. And that the the danger here, honestly is that ability to give God your pain. That when you mourn, that when you feel this pain, to say, God, here, I, I can't do anything with this. Because when we try to do something with it, what we end up doing is we end up trying to numb ourselves. That's how we end up addicted. That's how we end up in situations that may take a lifetime to get out of or we may never get out of it's just god i've got to numb this and we start to feel and the the upside down way the world says well the reason you're going through this pain is because god's judging you if you weren't such a a a screw-up then god wouldn't have to smack you with his hand so endure this because you earned it wrong and then you get into numbing because you're too scared to go to god because you're afraid he's the judgment guy that's causing the pain and then you start turning to things that are trying to numb the pain and then what happens is those end up getting you into a cycle and they can't get out. And God's saying, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let me me just tell you something that just really just kind of sends this shiver up my spine and makes my blood just boil. I mean, it can invoke almost this feeling of rage is when I talk to people that have gotten counsel from a a Christ follower that said, well, the reason you're experiencing this pain is you don't have enough faith. I actually talked to a woman a couple months ago who had gone through a horrendous loss in her family, the loss of a child. And at the funeral, someone who follows Christ, who says they live according to this right-side-up kingdom, said, well, God judges us for our sin. I, I wish that I had the DeLorean that would go 88 miles an hour, that I could go back in time and just thump him in the eyeball or something. I don't know. I mean, just just say, on behalf of Jesus here, whack! You know? You catch him right before they say that. Knock him out, tie him up in the coat room or something. I don't know. It, that sends me to a place that makes me completely unhappy because that is such a false representation of this right-side-up kingdom. Read your Bible. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God has every right to judge us, but through grace and mercy paid Jesus for our sin. And Jesus is saying mercy and comfort is yes, it's for you. Let's go on to see what else he's writing. In verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness does not mean weak. We get in this idea that to be meek, we got to be weak. But understand this, to be meek, you have to have power. See, meekness means restrained power. There's a fill-in, ding, ding. Restrained power. You have to have power to be meek. Think of it like this. Meekness is power over your power. I mean, that's kind of kind of crazy. Have you ever been to the Hoover Dam? This massive structure that's holding back the force of a river. What's stronger, the river or the dam? The dam. What an amazing picture of meekness. That this dam has the ability to hold it back. But in holding it back, what does it do? It provides power for one of the most famous cities in America, Las Vegas. None of us have ever been there, I'm sure. (laughs) What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's restrained power. Think about, let me give you another example, think about the cross. Here you have God in flesh, all-powerful, almighty, that at any given second could say, tapping out, and thousands of angels come and rescue him from the cross. He also has the ability to say, these people that I'm dying for their sin, eh, they're gone, wiped out. I can make ten more just like them like that. I mean, that's power. I mean, honestly... I mean, I heard growing up from my parents, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. I mean, God could really do it. and <laughs> he could make ten more just like I don't know why he'd want to make ten more just like me if he took me out in the first place. Maybe he would correct those things, fix the wiring a little bit. That's meekness. That the God of the universe would submit himself. You see, to have meekness, it means that we've got to operate in humility. We've got to live life with a big bucket of humility. Because meekness says, I've got the power to just crush you. I have the power to do what the world says in an upside-down kingdom, to conquer you, to just bowl you over and get my way. And meekness says, but I'm not going to do it. In meekness, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to restrain my power so that you can be blessed. That's meekness. We need to operate with this humility. We need an understanding that we have to get to a point of meekness. This, was, this came from what David wrote in Psalm 37 when he said the meek shall inherit the earth. David was a fighter. David his whole life was, was a warrior. And late in his life he wrote this when God says, David, you weren't meek buddy you went in and just you've been a fighter all your life and you haven't restrained your power and David didn't get to build the temple and what David is saying late in life in Psalm 37 is that it's not those who have the power to go in and take it that will actually get it it's those that will humble themselves and operate in meekness will inherit it think about an inheritance inheritance what is an inheritance? Something that's given to you. If you were to take an inheritance, it means you kill your parents, right? An inheritance is something that is given. So watch out for this power. Watch out because it will take you down. And meekness is how to get it. Let's go on to Matthew 5 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The only way to be filled is to create a hunger. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? The only way that you're going to, to get this satisfaction is to be hungry. And there's this strange evolution going on in our society. I don't know if you've picked up on this. But we, we, we've turned into this, this group of people that consume and consume and consume. And the evolution is this, is that we don't even like what we consume. We like to post it on Facebook and send out a Twitter because we like everyone else to know what we're consuming. We like for everyone else to enjoy that we're consuming it. It's like we go to dinner, and we don't even care that much about the dinner. But we care that you know we like the dinner. We care that you know where we got to go for dinner. We post our vacation pics on Facebook, And yeah, we enjoyed the vacation, but sometimes this evolution moves us. We like it more that you know we went. And to see your post. Oh, I'm so jealous. I wish I were there. (laughs) The palm tree's beautiful. (laughs) I don't know if that's the if you could vocalize Facebook if that's what it'd be, but But we've gotten into this thing of of consuming and really not liking we 're not even being satisfied with what we consume, but we like the satisfaction comes from others, and then it still just leaves us empty I mean we just get emptier and emptier and emptier and emptier have you ever have you noticed that have you have you seen that happening in in society and the only way that we can we can begin to be filled is we have to develop an appetite I mean Remember I talked about temptation, and those sins, and that pet sin that you got into, you got that way because you fed it, you spent money on it, you read about it, you nurtured it, it is an appetite that you begin to feed and grow, I mean the appetite that you feed is the one that will grow, it's like the guy that had two dogs, and they were, they were fighting, and he said, which dog's going to win? He said, the one I feed. I mean, our appetites, our desires are that way as well. When we feed them, they grow. When we starve them, they die. And we've got to be careful about what we spend our appetites on. You know, some appetites you're born with. I I don't think there's a kid on the face of the planet that does not have a natural-born appetite for chicken nuggets. Or actually processed chicken chunks and some kind of batter and fried. I don't think there's a kid on the face of the planet that doesn't like that. Mac and cheese? I think actually I had the only little girl on the face of history or earth in history that didn't like macaroni and cheese because it was goopy. But there's some appetites you're born with. There's some that you have to acquire. Coffee? I'm still working on that one. You know, we were laughing at dinner the other night with someone that we'll have a little bit of coffee with our cream. It's called a latte. <laughs> I mean, people need to get real, drink real coffee. Get the Americano, man. That'll put hair on your chest. So, but some appetite. <laughs> edit. <laughs> There's some appetites that we have to acquire... And honestly, there's appetites that we acquire and we work at acquiring that really we shouldn't, we shouldn't do. I mean, we should just spend that time and energy and money on something else. And, and what we have to do is begin to get into loving Jesus more and more and more. And the way we do that is we grow that appetite. We get around people who love Jesus. We spend time together in, in, a, in a gathering like this. We get into, we get ladies study Wednesday nights. We get around people that can begin to feed and grow that appetite who talk about Jesus. We spend money on Jesus. We read about Jesus. We begin to develop that appetite and feed it so these others will start to diminish and eventually die. And the way that we're filled is to develop this holy appetite for things that are holy. And stop trying to use up everything else, but go to what satisfies. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And develop that appetite. I'm going to skip down, I'm going to skip verse 7 and go to verse 8. We'll come back to it. Verse 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is kind of an interesting one, because the people of this time listening in, and even the disciples, they, they were beginning to come into this realization that they were seeing God and the Messiah, but there's really this, this understanding and truth that no man could look into the face of God. You would die. And what what Jesus is saying here is the only way to see God, I mean, it's, under, it's crazy, the only way to see God is with a pure heart. And you, you, I think of Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade when he's when he's going through the test, you know. And you're like, "How did I get a pure heart? Okay, I got a pure from my heart. Pure from my heart. I can think all I want about purifying my heart because I want to see God." But First John one nine says the only way to a pure heart is through confession. And so, in order for me to have this pure heart, I have to go through confession. If you understand confession, it's just an agreement. It's it's me saying, it's it's going back to that spiritual poverty and saying, God, I'm broke. And I agree that this area in my life is broken. And we confess that, and God says He is faithful and just to forgive and will purify our hearts. And so, it's, it's really this process that starts to happen. See, I can't look in the face of God, I'll die, but... Think of it like the sun. I can't go out and stare at the sun, but I can see the light of the sun everywhere around me. And so as I see God more in my life, the more I see that I need to confess. I had a friend of mine say, it's like the light comes on and you see the cockroaches. It's like that. The more of God in my life, the more is revealed, the more I confess, the more I see God, and then the more... He can purify my heart and my mind and my body and move into this righteous relationship. And what Jesus is saying here is pretty revolutionary if you think about it to these people because there was always a process of repentance. And we have this ability because of the cross to say, forgive me, Father. And then God shines His light in and then we say, forgive me for for this. I mean, I used to be so scared when I was a kid that I'd forgotten something, you know when I would say, "God, forgive me my sins." I was so afraid that I'd forgotten something that I wasn't going to go to heaven. And I would say, "I'd just do this blank thing. God, all the sins, all of them, even the ones I don't remember, you do. Forgive me for those too. And I pray like David does, God search my heart, reveal these ways. What that equates to is God, more light. In my life so I can see the areas that I'm upside down. And through confession we agree to turn it right side up. And we move away from continuing to go upside down. Now we'll go to seven and nine. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. These are... uh, These are, are... Contrary to even what we understand today because we understand that blessed are the well-connected, you know. <laughs> we used to live in Keller and I knew all of the police officers in Keller um, and that worked out to my benefit on many occasions. Um, sometimes they would just turn the lights on and wave to me to slow down instead of taking the time to pull me over. Um, <laughs> I can't remember how many times I've been pulled over. I mean, they would walk up. I had When I actually moved from a car to a truck, we wrecked our car and got a truck. I actually told the officers, I drive a silver truck, and this is my license plate number. And all the motorcycle cops would wave, slow down. We had one guy pull me over a couple times in the span of a month. And all he would do is come up to the window and say, slow down. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and I I, I would say, I feel more guilty because you're pulling me over than if you gave me a ticket. Come on. (laughs) Blessed are the well-connected. That's what was going on in Jesus' time. That doesn't happen today. But um, (laughs) blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You've got the poor people on the fringe hearing Jesus say, You mean mercy is for me? You mean this is something that's available that I can get? And Jesus is saying, very simply, yes. The way to get mercy, the way you receive mercy, is you show mercy. It's, it's like a, a cycle. You know, we hear this garbage in, garbage out. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, when you start extending mercy to the people around you, then mercy is something that is returned to you. And, and honestly, we have, to, we have to start grabbing a hold of this mercy In this peace as a church. It doesn't mean that we uh, just overlook sin. Sin is a problem. Sin crucified Jesus. Sin is a problem. But that doesn't mean that because of that, I have the ability to not show mercy and cut your head off. I show mercy. Something is wrong, but I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to show mercy. I have the ability... To beat you up with your sin, you know, don't we, we we get in this mindset that that we we think we're better than everyone else because I don't deal with that sin. well at least I'm not that so <laughs> and then we start to withhold mercy, and what we begin to be known for is judgmentalism. We become known for our lack of mercy. We become known as a a closed set of people that don't love each other and have no ability to love someone who is really hurting. You see, I, I know what I struggle with. And to know that I'm accepted, that even though I'm struggling, and there's mercy, and there's grace, and there's someone that's going to help me and pick me up and say, we can walk a better way. There's comfort in that. When I hurt, I'm gravitating to mercy. Not for pity, but for help. There's a difference there. We're not full of pity. We're full of mercy. To say, I love you. Let's get up. Come on, you can do this. And sometimes I need somebody to pull me up and walk beside me. And then there's times that I just need them to put their hand in my back and say, come on. We've got this. I'm right here. And there's so much comfort in that. And, and I begin to gravitate towards that. People begin to gravitate towards that. Because the upside down way of the world is, man, it's a weakness exposed. Let's exploit it. Let's step over them and get what we want. And at the root of it, that is what we know in the world. And Jesus is saying, mercy and peace. Let's be known for our mercy and our peace. And then let's go to Matthew 10 through 12, 5, 10 through 12. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is present tense again. Persecution, here it is. It's not a future thing. Not a they will be or you will be. Persecution, here it is. Now we, I want us to understand something, and this one may, may hit some of us a little wrong this morning, but the fill in that's coming up is most of our persecution comes from our negative influence. Most of the persecution of a a Christ follower or the church comes, and I didn't want to put this on the screen, because we're jerks. Because we want to shove this right-side-up view down the throats of people that, that we determine are upside down, and they begin to persecute us and then we think, well, mine is the kingdom because I've been persecuted. Well, where'd your persecution come from? Well, I told them they were a sinner and they were just terrible and that, that you know, man, God loves you, but I don't. <laughs> man, that's not persecution. That's called stupidity. Now, what, what if our persecution as a Christ follower or our persecution as a church came because we were living right side up? What if our persecution came not because we were standing in front of the schools and the courthouse saying, they need prayer in school, they need prayer in school. What if we raised up our children to see our godly example and they prayed in school? And the, the, the persecution came because they did it and didn't care about forcing someone else to do it. What if our persecution came because we were living this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? Because I can promise you this, when you live according to this kingdom, persecution will come. But that's when Jesus says, that's when the, the blessing and the kingdom and what I am talking about will be present with you. If you're going to become a judgmental set of people, then you're bringing it on yourself. But when you're living according to my kingdom and the way that I am telling you that this works and this looks like and persecution will come, then I'm there. I'm right there in it. Then I've got your back. And we've got to become a people that that live in the grace of God, that extend that grace of God. You see, persecution brings scars. Pain brings scars. Everything that that God allows us to go through will bring scars. And those scars are used to reach people with the gospel. Guys love to share their, their battle stories over their scars. That, when we endure that for the kingdom of heaven... That brings people to the gospel. Think about it this way. We go through persecution. We go through pain. And God says, here it is. I'm right here. I'm filling you up. I'm comforting you. I'm feeding you. I'm nourishing you. Here is the kingdom. And then someone else goes through that pain. And we're able through our scars to connect them with the gospel. Think of it this way. God turns my chair right side up. I now have the ability to to move and live and rest in grace and peace and joy and righteousness. And what I endure through living that way, I can help someone else flip their chair. It's like going through pain and then inviting someone else to reap the benefits of our pain. It's like the cross Jesus dying so that someone else could reap the benefits of his sacrifice that's the kingdom right side up the question that that you I want you to to marinate on is am I living right side up let's pray Father we uh, love you thank you for showing us a right side up way of living thank you for being willing to go against everything the world has taught us to show us a way that we can not only have a relationship with you but to live in joy and peace and righteousness in your kingdom and Father, I know there's there's some of us that may feel like we're upside down or we may feel right side up and as we hear these words of Jesus and we see Jesus this morning, it looks completely contrary to everything that's going on in our life. It looks completely upside down to, to anything we can imagine. Father, would you help our perspective? Would you help us to understand that what you are presenting in your kingdom is a right side up way of living and that you've called us to live this way father you've called us to follow you in such a way that we turn the world right side up father I'm reminded of what what was written in Acts 17 when the city leaders in in a certain city said, those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Father, we know they came in your name and in your kingdom to turn it right side up. Would you help us live right side up? And as we assemble and pray and gather and live and work and exist in this certain city, Father, let the message get out that those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Help us to submit to your kingdom. Father, we're we're spiritually broke. We need you to fill us. I know that there are those in this room going through pain and they feel completely turned upside down because of the pain they're going through. Jesus, comfort them. There's some of us in this room that that have developed appetites and fed appetites and have just gotten into this process of consuming to try to fill that appetite and feed that and satisfy And Father, that appetite drives us farther away from you. Would you help us, give us the courage, give us the strength, change our tastes this morning so that we can develop an appetite for you. Help us to get connected with each other, to grow that appetite, to feed that appetite. God, we love you. We desire to live right side up. Would you give us the courage to live it out? Would you give us the ability through your Holy Spirit to show mercy and peace and love and grace? We love you. In Jesus' name.